Hello and welcome to the Last Push podcast. So on today's episode, we're going to take a look at the second part of your biology paper one, which is called organization. And it's really all about um, systems, organ systems, specifically in the human body and as well as in plants. So we're going to take a look firstly at the digestive system, all the parts involved with the digestive system, enzymes, how they work, uh, what's called the lock and key model. Then we're going to take a look at the respiratory system. So how your respiratory system provides your body with oxygen and it removes carbon dioxide as a waste product. And then we're going to take a look at the circulatory system. So your heart, your blood vessels, and because they really work alongside your respiratory system. So it's good to really look at both of these at the same time because they are part of the organization um, section of your biology paper one. And then we're going to take a look at um, kind of your health in terms of what can happen when there's damages to some of these systems and sometimes the effects of those. So cardiovascular health is a big section of this um, in regards to coronary heart disease and basically some interventions that can happen, some ways to prevent it. And um, so we're going to look at statins and stents, which are two ways that you can prevent um, or reduce your chances of getting coronary heart disease if you've got high cholesterol and things like that. And also um, talking about some some things linked with organ transplants and things like that because we can have a heart transplant. That is one thing that can happen if you do, um, if your heart is failing, if it's an organ that is failing within your body. And then lastly, we're going to take a look at... Um, the plant transport system and what your the plant tissues are specifically in the leaf uh, the leaves of the plants and we're going to take a look at all those tissues and kind of how they interact because we need to think about it in terms of photosynthesis because that's what a plant does um, to produce sugar which can get converted into starch so basically how a plant is going to take water and carbon dioxide from its surroundings for example water is in the soil carbon dioxide is in the air um, and how that plant is going to use those um those compounds to be able to do photosynthesis. So we're going to start by taking a look at the principles of organization and then going on and looking at the human digestive system. So first things first, you guys need to get some paper, some pens. Um, you might want to Google a diagram of the digestive system just so you have it labeled in front of you so it's a little bit easier as we talk through some of this stuff. So get your paper, get your pen, um, and get intentional. Okay, and welcome back. Hopefully you've got all your stuff and you are ready to rock and roll. So first thing um, with the organization section, uh, for principles of organization, you kind of just need to know how things are um, work in terms of their size and their scale in relation to the cells and then all the way up to the organ systems. 
So you need to know that cells are basic building blocks. Um, and we looked at organelles um, in terms of the cell biology on the first episode. So cells are those basic building blocks for all living organisms, plants, animals. Every single living organism is made up of cells. And then the next thing you need to know in terms of size-wise, um, a group of cells that all share a similar structure or a function, they're going to form a tissue. So cells will make up tissues, and then it kind of just follows that same order. A group of tissues which have a specific function or a similar function, um, those tissues are going to form an organ. And you've got lots of different organs. You guys are clever enough to know those. So an organ is things like your lungs, your heart, your stomach. Those are all organs. And then in terms of a plant, your organs are going to be the leaves, the roots. Um, and then the organ system is your largest section that you need to be familiar with. And the organ system is it's organized with organs that all work together to form that organ system which will form the organism so for example your circulatory system is going to made, be made up of your heart as an organ and then it's going to be made up of different blood vessels like arteries arterioles capillaries venules and veins um, and then within that system itself you're going to have red blood cells you're going to have white blood cells you're going to have platelets and plasma because those are your four components of blood uh, which we'll take a look at later on in this podcast so Essentially, you need to know that the principles of organization starts with cells, a group of cells make tissues, a group of tissues make organs, a group of organs make organ systems, and all of them work together because they've got specific functions. So that's kind of the introduction to your principles of organization. And then the second part is really knowing the animal tissues, organs, and organ systems. And the first thing that AQA wants you to know about is the human digestive system. Um, and it's something that you would have studied at Key Stage 3, but it's something that goes into a little bit more detail. So you really need to know in terms of kind of the layout of the digestive system because they might actually ask you to label it. Um, and they'll definitely expect you to be able to use the names of the organs, the names of the enzymes. Um, when you were talking about it. So in terms of the role of the digestive system, the main role really is to break down large macronutrients um, and break those down into smaller nutrients um, that are small enough to be able to move into cells to perform chemical uh, reactions. So for example, if you if you eat a, a burger, um, a burger has got, it's got starch and glucose in the bun, it's got protein and fats within the uh, meat portion of it. Um, the same rule applies for veggie burgers as well if you're vegetarian. So in terms of, you just need to know that those would be your, your big macronutrients. And the whole reason why we have to chew and physically and chemically digest our food is to break it down into smaller nutrients so that those smaller nutrients can be absorbed into the bloodstream 
and then can move around to all the different cells in your body. So you need to know the three macronutrients, which are carbohydrates or starch. That word is interchangeable. So carbohydrates and starch, those are coming from things like your pasta, your breads, your rice. Um, then you also need to know proteins is another big big food group and proteins you all know that could come from your meat your chicken your fish um, your lentils your beans and finally lastly you've got your fats or your lipids lipids is the word that's used a lot of times in exam um, so you need to remember that fats are also called lipids and those lipids are coming from, they could come from any food source, uh, really, that's got a little bit of fat involved with it. So, for example, some of your meats will have fats in them, um, some, some cheeses, some things like that, some of your fattier foods. And a lot of times it's when you kind of think about like that takeaway type foods that's a little bit more unhealthy for you. You still need fat in your diet, um, but you need a lot less of it. So... First thing what we're going to do is we're going to be able to um, really break down the digestive system. So if you're looking at a diagram, you hopefully are, um, you have one that's labeled in front of you. You need to know the route that the food takes as well as what's called the accessory organs. So they're organs that will have tubes leading into your digestive system, but the food will not travel through it. So if we just take a look at um, your diagram in front of you, the first thing that you should, you should already know is that when you're eating, the food obviously is going to go into your mouth. So the first organ that we're talking about is the mouth. And on a lot of diagrams, you'll have salivary glands, which are close to the mouth because they are going to produce an enzyme, which will start the chemical digestion. So inside your mouth, you've got teeth, you've got your tongue, you've got salivary amylase, which is the enzyme which is released from the salivary glands. So inside your mouth is the start. Um, it's called ingestion. It's the start of digestion. Um, ingestion, I-N, going in, the food's going in, and it's starting to be broken up physically by your teeth, by your tongue. Um, so it's that physical or mechanical digestion is sometimes what it's called. And then you're going to have chemical digestion as well. And chemical digestion is going to be anything that is an enzyme, or it could be um, an acid, or it could also be another chemical called bile, which we'll get to in a minute. So in your mouth, really, you've got that food that's being broken down mechanically, physically by your teeth and your tongue. And then you've got salivary amylase, which is starting your carbohydrate and starch digestion mainly. So if you follow that diagram down, after you swallow, um, you've got your muscular tube, which is called your esophagus. And it is a muscular tube because it will be forcing that food down and muscular contractions will happen. These muscular contractions, the key word for that is peristalsis. And peristalsis will be forcing your food down with those muscular contractions until the food uh, reaches the next organ, which is called your stomach. And inside of your stomach, you have got hydrochloric acid, 
You've also got digestive enzymes as well in there. And your hydrochloric acid is quite important because it is going to help um, with killing bacteria and things like that so you do not get sick. So the hydrochloric acid is an extra chemical involved with your digestion. So after your stomach, um, hopefully on your diagram, you should notice that it's going to go into the small intestine and then the large intestine and then the rectum and then the anus. So the small intestine is extremely important because a lot of things happens in the small intestine. In terms of your food, um, which is at this point when it's the food and the acid and all the enzymes, it's all mushed together in your stomach. It's called chyme, C-H-Y-M-E. And that chyme is then going to move from your stomach and it still has got that stomach acid in it. And your stomach is adapted because it's got a lining of mucus, which helps protect you really because it's making sure that your food which is covered in around ph2 ph3 hydrochloric acid isn't burning a hole into your body cavity um so that mucus is a protective layer but your small intestine your large intestine your rectum and your anus doesn't have that mucus so once that chyme once that food with hydrochloric acid moves into your small intestine one of the first things that happens is another chemical is released and this chemical is called bile and what bile does is it neutralizes the hydrochloric acid that is coming from your stomach so that the food moving through your small intestine large intestine rectum and anus is closer to a ph neutral so bile is around a ph 13 14 it's a strong alkali and that's one of its functions now bile is made in the liver um, and it's stored in the gallbladder. So it's stored in a little tiny organ that's attached to your liver called the gallbladder. And in a lot of diagrams, it's green. Um, and that bile will move from your gallbladder into your small intestine once the food is in your small intestine to help neutralize the stomach acid. The second thing that it does is it will emulsify fats which will small, form small droplets which will help increase the surface area. Um, and this will help increase the rate of fat digestion or lipid digestion um, within your small intestine. So that's the, that's the key word that they really want you to try to use is that bile will emulsify fats um, to form small droplets and increase the surface area to increase the rate of fat digestion. So your small intestine is extremely important because it is where food is absorbed so after it's where everything's finalized and finished the breakdown so your carbohydrates have been fully broken down they get broken down by the enzyme amylase and they get broken down into one of their simplest forms um, that you need to know about is glucose. So carbohydrates gets broken down by amylase. And once it's reached the small intestine, it's now um, extremely small and it is called glucose. And that glucose can get absorbed into the lining, past the lining of the small intestine through the villi and the microvilli if you get up a diagram of the small intestine you should be able to see this labeled 
So your glucose will be able to move through diffusion from an area of high concentration in your small intestine to an area of lower concentration um, in the surrounding capillaries in your villi and your microvilli. So take a look at a diagram for that because it'll be a lot easier if you're looking at a diagram. And then once it's in the bloodstream, that glucose is able to move to every single one of your cells so that you can do respiration. The same thing, the exact same thing happens with proteins and fats. So proteins are going to get broken down by protease and proteins get broken down into amino acids, which are smaller than proteins and which are able to actually move across cell membranes. So amino acids are going to be able to, just like carbohydrates, move from an area of high concentration in the lumen of the small intestine into the surrounding capillary beds, the bloodstream, and then those amino acids are going to be able to move to your cells throughout your body. Same with fats, exact same thing with fats. Fats or lipids are broken down by the enzyme called lipase, and lipase are going to break fats down into glycerol and fatty acids, and that glycerol and fatty acids is then going to be able to move into your bloodstream. So really, the small intestine has got quite a lot going on, and you should definitely check out BBC Bite Size um, for some more revision notes on that, because it's going to be really, really helpful for you to get that down and for you to try to memorize that. Now, after the small intestine, we've got the large intestine, and the main role of the large intestine, it is used for water absorption. That's really all you have to try to remember at GCSE. Um, and then after the water has been absorbed, whatever waste material is left over will be stored in the rectum and then it will pass through, um, the anus, um, in a process called egestion. So we've got, first of all, ingestion where we take in the food. Then we've got digestion, which has, starts happening in the mouth. Um, it finishes in the small intestine. Absorption happens in the small intestine. Absorption of water happens in the large intestine, and then the last stage of digestion is egestion, e, e for exit, um, where the rest of those, whatever's left over, whatever waste material, whatever fiber is left over, will be um, expelled as feces. So another thing that you might get asked about... <coughs> is in terms of the lock and key theory. A lot of times enzymes will use um, this theory, which is called the lock and key theory, which basically means if you're looking, I really, really think you should pause this right now and actually get up a diagram of the lock and key theory or get up a diagram of enzyme substrate complex. So if you Google enzyme substrate complex, um, do that so you have a diagram up in front of you. So I'll give you a couple seconds to get that in order and then we'll talk through the lock and key theory and in terms of labeling an enzyme complex.
Okay, so hopefully you've got yourself a diagram of the lock and key model or the enzyme complex substrate. So the enzyme, each enzyme, so amylase, protease, and lipase, it has a very, very specific shape. And I always try to teach this in terms of um, trying to visualize this like Lego blocks. Okay, if you've got one Lego block, um, it fits perfectly with the other with the other Lego block. So enzymes are very similar in the fact that they're complementary to the substrate. And the substrate is the thing that is fitting into the enzyme. And it will always fit in at the active site. So if you've got a diagram up, you hopefully have got a diagram of an enzyme and you've got a section which is labeled the active site. That's where the complementary substrate in this case with digestion, it will be the carbohydrate, it will be the starch, it will be the protein, it will be the fat. That is going to be fitting into the active site. And then that enzyme is able to break down that molecule into smaller molecules. So you'll have the glucose left over, you'll have the amino acid left over, you'll have the glycerol and the fatty acids left over. So that's really how it works. And in terms of the lock and key theory, if you think about a key fits into a specific lock. So the key would be the substrate and the lock would be the enzyme. Um, and that's a simple model um, that they sometimes want you to be able to explain in terms of the enzyme action. Now, one of the last sections of digestion is the required practical three. Um, and if I just read this out to you, uh, required practical three is use qualitative reagents to test for a range of carbohydrates, lipids, and proteins. So we always call this the food test. And if you go on the Malsbury Science YouTube channel, you'll be able to find this required practical and watch it. Usually it's not too many marks on your biology paper one, but it usually can be up to three or four marks. This isn't a practical that they usually ask you to do the method. It can come up, but usually they're just testing to see if you can remember the names of the reagents, which are liquid chemicals, which will prove to see whether or not a carbohydrate is present, a lipid is present, or a protein is present. So they are called reagents, and a lot of times students don't get these questions right because they the word reagent is not a word that's typically used and it's not a word that's in everybody's day-to-day -day vocabulary so reagent is that chemical uh, that liquid which is going to do the food tests so in terms of the food tests that you need to know uh, one of the first one is going to be iodine which is a brownie orange reagent and the iodine is going to test for starch. So usually you're given these chemicals in a little dropper bottle and you put one or two drops onto whatever you're testing, the food, the piece of food. And if the piece of food goes a dark, dark blue, almost like a black, in most cases that's what um, students describe it as, color black, it means that there is starch present. So first food test is iodine and it does test for starch. And if starch is present, it will turn... Uh, whatever you're testing, black. Then you've got burette reagent, which is 
usually a very turquoisey blue color at the start liquids, a burette reagent. And if you're testing for proteins and proteins are present, there are proteins there, it will turn a light purple color. Then you have got uh, your Benedict's reagent. Your Benedict's reagent is again a turquoisey blue color and it's to test for sugars. And with the Benedict's reagent, you actually need to make sure that there's enough thermal energy, enough heat with your sample, or it will not react properly. So Benedict's reagent should go from a turquoise blue to a brick orange if there is sugar present. So please make sure you check out the Malsbury Science YouTube channel to actually take a look at how they set up that practical and so you can actually see it with a visual. They also have got um, some more information about this required practical on BBC Bite Size. So you can read up a little bit more on it and see some diagrams as well. So that whole section is the digestion section with enzymes involved. Um, the next section for your organization um, in terms of organ systems is going to be the heart and the blood vessels. So what I'd like you guys to do now is have a quick pause and actually get up a diagram, a label diagram of the heart. So as we're talking through parts of the heart, you're going to be able to follow along a little bit easier. Okay, and hopefully that gave you enough time to get yourself a diagram of the heart um, and potentially blood vessels as well if you can multi-screen it, um, dual screen it. So in terms of the heart, the heart is the major organ involved in the circulatory system and you need to know, you need to be really, really familiar and confident with the fact that it's actually called a double circulatory system. So we as um, as humans have evolved to have this double circulatory system. If you look at the circulatory system of simpler organisms like grasshoppers, like fish, like earthworms, they do not have um, as advanced as a circulatory system as we do. So we've evolved in a way and our heart has evolved in a way where we have got actually one side of our heart which deals completely with the deoxygenated side. And on paper, that is the left side of your heart even though it is labeled the right side. So that whole side is gonna deal with just deoxygenated blood. And then that blood is going to be sent it's going to be pumped through the pulmonary artery and it's going to be pumped to the lungs to collect oxygen. And then it will come back through the pulmonary vein and it will come back to a side which deals specifically only with the oxygenated blood. So it's a really, really efficient and effective system um, because there's no mixing of that deoxygenated and oxygenated blood. So it's one of the reasons why mammals 
um, are able to actually do a lot more than those simpler life forms because there's no mixing of that deoxygenated and oxygenated blood. So if you are taking a look at um, the blood vessels involved, what you actually need to know is you need to know some of the blood vessels, but not all of them. Um, major ones that you need to know is the vena cava, which will be carrying all the deoxygenated blood from your body back to your heart. So on a lot of diagrams, it will show you the vena cava. It will have a superior vena cava and an inferior vena cava. The superior vena cava is all that blood that is coming um, back to your heart, above your heart. So from your arms, your fingers, your shoulders, your neck, your heads, um, all that blood is returning from the superior vena cava into your heart. And the inferior vena cava is everything that's below your heart. So any blood that's returning from your digestive system, any blood that's returning from your reproductive system, any blood that's returning from your legs, uh, from your feet, that's all coming back from the inferior vena cava. So that's the first blood vessel, and that's a blood vessel that's delivering deoxygenated blood. Um, to your heart and it's going to go into the first chamber your left side on paper which is labeled the right side mirrors pretty much the exact same as your right side on paper left side labeled so as we go through this hopefully the next side will be a little bit easier so the deoxygenated blood comes in through the vena cava and it goes to the right atrium that's the first chamber then that right atrium is also where what is called a pacemaker will go. Um, you've got one that works works naturally on its own, and you only need to have a replacement one if your pacemaker stops working, because that pacemaker is going to cause your right atrium to contract, and it will force the blood to move from that first chamber, that right atrium, through your heart valves, which you do not need to know the names for, but you do need to know that they are there. So it will go from your right atrium. Your right atrium will contract, forcing the blood through your heart valve into the bottom chamber, which is called the right ventricle. Now, that right ventricle has got a little bit more muscle than the atrium, so that right ventricle will be able to contract and it will be able to force blood through another set of valves into the pulmonary artery. And that pulmonary artery is going to move blood away from the heart and it will move that deoxygenated blood to your lungs. In your lungs, that's where your, your um, red blood cells will be able to bind with oxygen and then your blood will now be termed oxygenated blood. And that oxygenated blood will then travel back to your heart. So that's one whole side of your heart. The next part is going to be on paper, the right side, but it is labeled the left side. And the oxygenated blood is going to travel back from your lungs and it's going to go travel back from your lungs in the pulmonary vein. 
and then it's going to leave and go into your heart from the pulmonary vein into the first chamber, which is the left atrium. That left atrium then will contract, forcing the blood through your heart valve into your left ventricle. That left ventricle has a lot more muscle compared to your right ventricle. And they often ask you why, the reason behind this. And the reason behind behind the fact that the right that the left ventricle has got thicker muscle is because it has to pump blood at a higher pressure to further places because your right ventricle is only pumping blood to your lungs whereas your left ventricle has to be able to have enough pressure to pump blood to every cell in your body so it's got further to pump it so your left ventricle will contract and it will force the blood through the last um, set of heart valves and it will force the blood into the major artery called the aorta. So if you find that labeled on your diagram, you've got the aorta and the aorta is one of your major, major biggest blood vessels in your body and it is where blood is at its highest pressure because it is in terms of the arteries because it is forcing um, the blood to flow at such a high pressure to be able to get to every cell in your body. Now, in terms of um, what you need to know a little bit more about, um, we touched briefly on it, but the pacemaker. Um, so it's a group of cells that's found at the right atrium and what it's responsible for is regulating the heartbeat and making sure that your heartbeat beats at a regular constant pace to make sure that your atrium and your ventricle are contracting to make sure that they're moving blood around to your lungs and then around to your body so artificial pacemakers are electrical devices um, that can be put in um, to help with the irregularities of your heartbeat. So they basically do the work that the cells, if the cells are damaged, can't do. And they'll make sure that your heartbeat is working at a constant pace. Now, before uh, we talk about the, the lungs and the respiratory system, we need to quickly just discuss about the three different types of blood vessels arteries, veins, and capillaries. And we need to talk about the four components of blood. And then before we go to the lungs, we also need to talk about coronary heart disease. So in terms of the three main blood vessels, you've got arteries, veins, and capillaries. You need to try to remember three facts about each one and kind of how they're different and how they're similar. So Arteries, start with an A. Arteries carry blood away from the heart, whereas veins carry blood towards the heart. Arteries away, veins towards. Arteries also have got a thick muscular wall, whereas veins have got a thin muscular wall. 
arteries have got a small lumen, which is the pathway that blood will actually be flowing in. Kind of like if you think of a tube, it's the, the part that is air in a tube. That's the lumen. So arteries will have a small lumen, whereas veins will have a, a wide lumen, a large lumen. So veins have a lot less pressure, whereas arteries have got a lot of pressure. And then um, if we're thinking about kind of some of those special adaptations, veins have actually got um, a special adaptation called a valve. And valves are really, really important because valves are going to prevent the backflow of blood. So sometimes if you, um, if you know anyone who's got varicose veins or any any problems with cooling blood. Um, a lot of times some of these are, are runners or athletes um, where this becomes a problem. Um, it usually also is something um, that happens kind of with age as well. So a lot um, of elderly people have got problems with their their veins and pooling of blood. And it's because their valves have kind of lost the elasticity in them. Um, so that's sometimes why varicose veins um happen and are more prominent as you age and then the last um the last blood vessel that you need to know about is i need you to you might want to pause it you might want to look up kind of the capillary network because arteries will bring blood away from the heart and then they'll go into smaller tubes which are called arterioles and then those arterioles will branch into capillary beds. And capillaries are the third type of blood vessel that you need to know about. That's where gas exchange happens. So after the oxygen has been offloaded, carbon dioxide will be onloaded. Um, then those capillaries will branch into larger tubes called venules, bringing the blood back to your heart. And then those tubes will branch off into even larger, larger vessels. And those are your veins, bringing the blood back to your heart. So in terms of what you need to try to remember about capillaries, capillaries are one cell thick. They're very, very small. And this is so they have a short diffusion distance of those gases for those gases to be able to move off, for the oxygen to be able to move into the surrounding tissue and cells so that the oxygen can then move into the cells to be used. So capillaries are one cell thick. It is the site where gas exchange happens. Okay, that's really, really important for you to try to remember. It's where gas exchange happens. Um, and there's a lot of pressure in capillary beds as well. So those are your three types of blood vessels. Next, we need to start taking a look at uh, the four components of blood. So I use the word lumen because I need you to think about your blood is traveling through lumen and lumen is, it's the, it's the tube that it's traveling kind of in. The blood vessels is the, if you're thinking of a rubber tube, the, the artery, the capillary, the vein, the actual wall itself is that rubber part, but the lumen is the part where what we typically think of as blood flows through. And blood is actually, it's considered a tissue, which I know seems strange, but it is con considered a tissue because it's made up of four 
different things. So remember when we talked about how a, a cell is a basic unit and a tissue is made up of different cells um, that have similar functions. So blood is actually a tissue because it's made up of four different um, different things. I can't say that they're all cells because plasma is technically the liquid aspect of it. So when we think of blood, usually we always think of it as a liquid. But in reality, it's made up of four different things. The plasma is the liquid component or substance, which is going to be carrying red blood cells, which is going to be carrying white blood cells, which is going to be carrying platelets. And within that plasma, you're going to be able to have things like hormones traveling in it. You're going to be able to have things like glucose, amino acids, fatty acids, glycerol, all those can travel within the plasma. So it's really, really important for you to know that blood is actually a tissue. And the red blood cell, function of the red blood cell is to carry oxygen. Um, also to remove carbon dioxide. But the main function of the red blood cell is to carry oxygen on its hemoglobin and carry that oxygen around to all the different types of cells in your body. White blood cells, uh, the function of the white blood cells is to help out with the immune system. So at GCSE, you need to know that white blood cells do three things. They make antitoxins, they make antibodies, and they also engulf and destroy any pathogen like a bacteria or a virus. And then, so we've got plasma, red blood cells, white blood cells, and the last thing is called platelets. And platelets are really important because they form blood clots. So if you get cuts, they are responsible for forming a scab. And platelets are actually broken up pieces of red blood cells. So they don't work like red blood cells because they are um, pieces of red blood cells, but they will form blood clots and they will form scabs. So Platelets are involved in blood clotting. That's the keyword that they want you to use when you're answering what the function of a platelet is. They form blood clots. If you write scab down, it will not likely get awarded to you. So you need to try to use the word blood clot because that is the key scientific word. So those are your four components of blood. Um, the plasma, which is the liquid portion, which will carry the red blood cell, white blood cells, platelets, hormones, minerals, ions, everything else. And then you've got your red blood cells, which carry oxygen, your white blood cells, which are involved in the immune system, and your platelets, which clot blood. So in terms of the last section, which is really involved with um, your heart, is knowing a little bit about coronary heart disease. So with coronary heart disease, you need to know that there are layers of fatty material that will build up inside coronary arteries, which will narrow them. Your coronary arteries are your arteries on your heart. They are the arteries that are supplying your heart with oxygen. So if they get filled with fatty materials, then that's going to be really, really dangerous because what it does is it reduces or it slows down the flow of blood. So it means that your heart actually is getting less 
oxygen. So your heart is a muscle and it needs oxygen to be able to do respiration, to be able to release energy, to be able to contract, to be able to actually function properly. It does need oxygen to be able to do that. So what the medical community has come up with um, over the last um, hundred years is they've actually developed something called a stent. And um, how I like to describe it as is, you know, those finger traps. Um, If you don't know what I'm talking about, you might want to Google an image of a stent or a finger trap. But those finger traps kind of look like one. So if you've never seen a stent before, but you know what a finger trap looks like, then um, it's the one where you put it on one finger and you stick and then you put your other finger into it and you try to pull it and it's kind of trapped. So if if that's really confusing, just pause it and actually Google an image of a stent um, so that you can actually see it. And what the stents do is it keeps coronary arteries open. Um, it widens it up um, and it allows for the blood to flow normally so that your heart muscle, um, your coronary arteries are actually able to supply that heart muscle with enough oxygen. Another thing um, that can get prescribed if you've got high blood cholesterol and your doctor notices that there is some fatty material buildup is they can prescribe statins. And statins is a type of drug that helps reduce blood cholesterol levels um, and it slows down the rate of fatty material deposits. So if you've got coronary heart disease in your family, um, then this is something that will be monitored and you might get prescribed statins. Uh, another thing that they could actually do is some people, their heart valves become a little bit, um, damaged and faulty sometimes, um, which can cause them to leak, um, and can cause actually blood to flow in the opposite direction. So you know, when we talked about the mixing of blood, basically, if you've got a faulty valve, it just might mean that your heart has to work and pump a lot harder to get the same amount of blood out that it normally should. Um, So these can be replaced um, with biological or mechanical valves in a surgery, Um, which um, you need to, whenever we're talking about surgery, you need to think that there's always a risk of infection. Um, So there can be some cons with with a surgery. Um, In terms of heart failure, there could be a heart donor, a heart and lungs could be transplanted, um, and artificial hearts are sometimes used to keep patients alive while they're waiting for a heart transplant. So if you do need to replace your heart, there are things like heart transplants available. So in terms of um, kind of your health and your physical well-being, a lot of times they'll ask you questions about lifestyle and lifestyle questions. So things like eating a a non-fat diet is really, really important. That's oftentimes on mark schemes when you're talking about lifestyle. Also making sure that you are physically active and making sure that you are exercising your heart because it is a muscle. Making sure that you're not smoking, making sure that you're not drinking. Um, those are all things that will affect your heart. Also, diabetes is something else um, 
obesity as well is another another lifestyle factor that will increase your chances of getting coronary heart disease or just heart disease in general so sometimes you're often asked longer mark questions about lifestyles and how you can um, be as healthy as possible so before we um, get into kind of plants a little bit more we just need to have a quick discussion about the lungs it's quite a very very small section of your specification but they do still want you to touch on it so if you guys could pause um take a quick minute and get a video up of not a video sorry a picture up of the lungs labeled so we'll just do that for a couple minutes Okay, so hopefully you've got yourself a diagram of the lungs. So first thing, let's just go through kind of labeling of the lungs. You need to know that the windpipe is called the trachea. So when you breathe in through your nose or your mouth, that air filled with oxygen is going to move into your trachea. And then it is going to branch off into two branches. Um, obviously, because you've got two lungs, so you need two branches. The, the branch is called the bronchi. And then it will lead into smaller vessels called bronchioles. And then it will lead into the smallest section in your lungs, which is called the alveoli, those little tiny alveoli sacs. And there's many alveoli sacs, which will increase the surface area, which will allow for more oxygen to move from your lungs where there's a high concentration of oxygen and it will diffuse through the membrane of past the membrane of your alveoli sacs into a capillary bed where it then can combine with the oxygen and move back to your heart so in terms of the lungs you don't really need to know too much um you do need to know that there's many alveoli you do need to know that there's a high surface area um, a short diffusion distance and you also need to try to remember that there's a very good blood supply, which is going to be um, be that capillary network that's surrounding your alveoli. So in terms of the lungs, it's quite a small section. Um, generally, you're usually not not always asked a question on it, but it is something that could come up on the exam because it is linked um, with the circulatory system. And then the very last section before the plant tissues, really, it's, it's quite a small section, but it does come up occasionally for questions. It is a section on, it's, it's a section on cancer. So Students need to know that cells can lead to uncontrolled growth and division. So from the first podcast, we talked about the cell cycle and mitosis. And usually in the cell cycle, there are steps and stages involved with be checking cells to make sure that they are healthy and to make sure that there's no mutations and they're ready to divide into new cells. Occasionally though, one cell can sometimes slip through that 
um, that those checks and one cell can actually have a mutation in it, which can be a cancerous mutation and it can cause uncontrolled growth. It can cause uncontrolled um, cellular division. And that is where you start seeing things like benign tumors. Um, and their growths of these abnormal cells, these cells that do have mutations on them. And it's usually in one area of your body and it's usually within a membrane itself. So it's, it's a small section um, that is a benign tumor. And a benign tumor is um, what some people would classify as a better tumor because it is one that has not invaded other parts of your body. So it's in one section and that's where you usually hear stories. Um, a lot of people know people or have had family members who've had benign tumors and those are where they're usually, um, there's an operation involved and they are removed. And oftentimes, if they're detected earlier, um, then that person, um, the full tumor has been removed and that person's absolutely fine. The um, worst form of a tumor is called a malignant tumor. And those are, are cancer cells. Those are malignant tumors. And they're quite dangerous because they invade neighboring tissues and they can spread to different parts. So what will happen is part of the malignant tumor which is made up of cells one or two of those cells um, if they break off from that tumor and get into your bloodstream or get into your uh, lymph nodes they can travel to different parts of your body and then they can embed themselves in the surrounding tissues um, and form secondary tumors so that would um, that would be really, really problematic for that person because it means that the cancer has spread and they've got um, secondary tumors. Now, I know that this is a really, really unpleasant topic, um, but in a day and an age where it is prevalent, it is something that GCSE students need to be aware of and need to be mindful of. So in terms of what you need to know, um, we've just discussed it. It doesn't go into any more detail than that. So you need to know benign tumors and malignant tumors. And usually you're asked a question about how it will spread. And it's usually two or three marks. And all you need to, all you need to basically write down and try to remember is that the cells will break off. They'll travel in the bloodstream and they'll form secondary tumors. Okay. So... The very last section of organization is, is plant tissues, organs, and organ systems. Um, and this is usually when we're talking about a plant as an organism, it has got um, different systems involved, which will help it be able to get all the nutrients it needs and will help it be able to photosynthesize. So I always like to start this off by thinking about a tree. Oh, you get a diagram up of a tree if you want to. But if we think of a tree, a tree has is it is the organism itself. It has got sections of it. So the roots are in the soil, and then you've got a trunk or a stem, and that trunk or that stem has got vessels within it that will allow substances to move up or to move up and down. And then you've got the leaf or the flower um, section of that plant if we're talking about common plants, okay, not talking about cactuses or desert plants or anything like that. But 
I need you to start thinking about how those are going to be able to actually move within a plant, how water is going to get from the soil and move up to the leaves. Because that's one thing that we need for photosynthesis to happen, which happens in the leaves. And then also in terms of the air surrounding the plant, the carbon dioxide is one compound in the air because air is a mixture. And that carbon dioxide needs to get also into the leaves. So how does the water... And how does the carbon dioxide get into the leaf? That's that's kind of what we're thinking about. And you need to know the leaf tissue layers and kind of how that whole thing works. So if we just quickly touch on water, because that one's quite simple um, to kind of think about. If we touch on water, um, water is in the soil of those plants. And water is going to usually have a higher concentration in the soil so water can move into the roots specifically into the specialized cells that we talked about in the first episode root hair cells and they've got an elongation to increase the surface area so that water is going to move from an area of high concentration in the soil to an area of lower concentration in the root hair cells those root hair cells are then connected to a transport system of vessels um, and those vessels are called xylem and phloem. And xylem is going to be the vessel that will transport water up to the leaves. And it's called a transpiration stream. A transpiration stream, because transpiration is the loss of water um, in the leaves. So basically... As water is lost in the leaves, it starts a pulling action, which will pull water, which will pull water up the xylem. And then that water is going to be pulled up into the leaves where it can do photosynthesis in one of the layers called the palisade layer. Now, that's, that's how water moves up. Now, in terms of carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide is in the air, and carbon dioxide is, there's a higher concentration of carbon dioxide in the air compared to the leaves. So carbon dioxide will, just like water, will move from an area of high concentration in the surrounding air through an opening on the bottom of leaves. And that opening on the bottom of leaves is called a stomata. So that carbon dioxide will move into the stomata, and then it will move through layers, um, specifically the spongy mesophyll, which we'll talk about in a minute. And it will move through the spongy mesophyll up into the palisade layer. And the palisade layer is where photosynthesis happens. So what I want you to do right now is we're going to talk about the leaf layers. But before we do that, it's really, really important that you get a diagram of this or if you remember it, you actually pause and you draw yourself a diagram of this. So we're gonna take a look at the leaf layer tissues uh, in about a minute. So if you guys pause, get yourself a picture, and then we'll be back. Okay, so leaf tissue layers. There are a few layers at GCC that you need to know. And the first layer is the outermost layer. If you ever feel a plant, um, especially those um, really waxy cacti, 
cactuses, cacti, if you actually feel the leaves of a plant, they actually feel a bit waxy. And it's because they are coated um, in, in a wax-like substance. And that's why the first layer is called the waxy cuticle. And what its function is, is it prevents water loss. So the waxy cuticle prevents water loss. Then the next layer is called the upper epidermis. And there's epidermal tissue on everything. For example, with humans, our epidermal tissue layer is our skin. It's an outermost layer. Um, and with plants, the upper epidermis, it doesn't have a lot of organelles in it. Um, so its main function is to allow light through. Um, it also kind of acts as a heat shield um, for the next layer down to make sure that it doesn't get too hot um, so to make sure that those enzymes actually work properly because if enzymes get too hot they denature and they won't work properly and photosynthesis is a reaction that requires enzymes so you've got the waxy cuticle and then the upper epidermis, which allows sunlight through. The next layer is extremely important, and that's called the palisade layer. And the palisade layer is where photosynthesis happens. It's near the top of the leaf, so it gets lots of sunlight energy. It has got extra chloroplast for lots of photosynthesis. And um, usually the cells in your diagram should look a little elongated because it's got a little bit of an increased surface area. Then the next layer down is called the spongy mesophyll. And if you think about a sponge, there's got lots of holes um, and it's because all those cells are not tightly packed together so that gases like carbon dioxide coming from the atmosphere are able to flow through quickly. So the spongy mesophyll is responsible for rapid gas exchange. Then um, we have got the lower epidermis and within the lower epidermis you've got important cells called guard cells. And these guard cells are responsible for opening and closing the stomata. And the stomata are the little tiny holes, little tiny openings that are at the bottom of all the leaves on plants and trees where carbon dioxide goes into. So those are your leaf layer tissues. And embedded in the spongy mesophyll, you have got a vascular bundle. And your vascular bundle has got the xylem and the phloem. So we talked about the water, which is going to move from the soil through the root hair cells into the xylem. It will be pulled up the xylem to the leaves. And where that water comes out is in the vascular bundle bundle in the spongy mesophyll. Then that water will be able to move into the palisade layer for photosynthesis. The only vessel we've not talked about is the phloem. And phloem is able to have um, flow in both directions so it can go up and down. And what it actually does is it will move some of the products of photosynthesis so it will be able to move glucose which has been made in photosynthesis which is part of your paper um, the end part of your biology paper one so it's able to move glucose um, and convert it into starch um, and then it's able to move it to anywhere in the plant it needs to go so 
that is your your plant organization. So in terms of organization as a whole, just a really quick summary. Summary. So you need to know the digestive system, the enzymes involved. You need to know the circulatory system, um, coronary heart disease, a little tiny bit about the lungs, a little tiny bit about cancer, and then we finish off with the leaf um, tissues and the plant as an organism and how it's able to get carbon dioxide and water into the palisade layer. So that is organization and that's the second section of your biology paper one. So what I really suggest um, that you also do, we talked about Malsbury science in terms of looking at the food required practical with the reagents you also need to take a look at the Malsbury Science YouTube channel for the photosynthesis required practical because that one a lot of the time does come up and you do need to know the methods. You need to be able to look at graphs and be able to describe that. So that's the last suggestion that I suggest you do is check out the Malsbury Science YouTube channel, go on to BBC Bite Size for some additional information and get revising and stay positive.